Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. If you enjoy listening to Corology, then I need your help. Here's why. I create Corology by myself on a shoestring budget, recording and editing every episode in my tiny closet. How's that for irony? That's where you come in. Will you help keep Corology on the air by supporting it financially? By tipping as little as $1 a month, you can help me improve and keep making Corology every week. All you have to do is jump over to MatthiasRoberts.com support to make a pledge and listen away. Hey friends, this is Matthias Roberts, and you're listening to Choreology, a podcast on belief and being. This is episode 54. I am not going to let anybody rob from me my faith in Jesus, uh, because I am entitled to this faith. I am entitled to the promises made from the text, from scripture, and I'm going to sit down at the table. Erin Green is a gay Christian woman, and she's one of the three co-executive directors for Brave Commons. Uh, a movement supporting intersectional and queer justice on Christian university campuses all over the U.S. She holds a Bachelor of Arts degree in Biblical Studies from Azusa Pacific University and is currently in grad school at San Francisco Theological Seminary to get her MDiv. Uh, she's an LGBTQ plus faith advocate and activist most recognized for her work as the former executive director of Biolan's Equal Ground at Biola University, where she successfully led demonstrations in support of Biola's queer community. In addition to her on-campus work, Erin has worked for several nonprofits as a grassroots community organizer and faith consultant, and writes regularly for the Huffington Post. Her passion for and knowledge of the biblical text help her navigate through discussions with Christian institutions, faith leaders, and faith communities. Erin is really passionate about helping reform uh, Christian communities to empower the marginalized and the oppressed in the name of Christ. And I am so excited to have her on the podcast today. Uh, she is doing such amazing work alongside uh, everyone else on the Brave Commons team. We're really jumping into conversation about what the state of Christian campuses are like for queer students today. Uh, that's exactly the work that Brave Commons is doing. Erin uh, has a lot of really interesting observations from her work on these campuses. Before we dive in, a couple things. First, last week was Wild Goose Festival. Uh, it was so much fun to meet so many of you who listened to the podcast. The live recording of Chorology was so much fun. Uh, we had a packed house. Such great conversation. At the end of the recording, uh, the audio engineer came up to me and told me uh, that he actually didn't get the episode recorded. <laughs> so it truly was just a live episode, which is such a bummer because I mean we had this. Oh my gosh, it was so good. Uh, I, I probably I maybe shouldn't tell you all about it, but uh, it was Kevin Garcia, Rika Lively, Lauren Sotolongo. We sat down and talked about respectability politics, or the idea that we have to like squeeze and fit ourselves into certain boxes into being quote unquote respectable in order to fit into certain spaces. We have to tone down our queerness. We have to act straight or act like a certain gender presentation or whatever in order to be 
safe uh, or heard. Uh, it was such a good conversation. I'm really hoping that we might be able to replicate it at some point uh, so all the rest of you can hear it. Uh, but for now, uh, all y'all who, who heard it live, you were lucky. And we're going to figure out how to make sure that doesn't happen again for the next live recording uh, of Chorology, which is going to be happening soon. But I'll tell you about that in a few weeks. Uh, also, this next weekend is Spirit Pride, uh, both in Vancouver and Victoria in southern British Columbia in Canada. Uh, I'm going to be speaking at both of them. Uh, so I'm keynoting Spirit Pride Vancouver on Saturday morning. Uh, and then Sunday afternoon, I'm going to be on a panel at Spirit Pride in Victoria. Uh, to find out more information about those, just head over to spiritpride.org. Uh, there's tickets available. Uh, it's going to be so much fun. Jennifer Knapp's going to be there along with a bunch of other amazing queer uh, people of faith. Come say hi. Uh, I really look forward to meeting y'all. Uh, and we'll see you there. Okay, Aaron Green, uh, let's go ahead and dive in. Aaron, hi, welcome. Hi, Matthias. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. It is so good to have you today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate yeah. it. So to start, this is a question I ask everyone. Uh, how do you identify? And then how would you say that your faith has helped form that identity? Yeah, um, so I identify as a gay Christian woman. Um, I, I think my faith has helped me identify that way um, in, a, in a strange sense for me because I used to be so afraid of saying that I was gay out loud and in admitting that to myself um, and accepting that. So um, since I've really gone through such a tremendous process of healing and and deconstruction with God and my faith, um, I'm able to comfortably say that now. And I know that there's there's kind of some, uh, you know, people on the outside have a tendency to say like, well, why do you have to say gay and Christian? Like, why do you have to do that? I hope at some point we don't need to do that. Like, I shouldn't have to say that I'm gay or feel the need to justify any of those things, but I do it now for the sake of other people who don't have the voice or the ability to do that yet. And that is why I identify that way. So you like are doing a lot of really interesting work kind of with groups of people who maybe aren't able to identify as gay yet. Like you doing work on Christian colleges and, and you just recently graduated um, from a Christian university. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to hear kind of more about that. Um, kind of maybe what your experiences were like. Like, I mean, you led kind of an underground queer group at Biola. Mm -hmm. And like, tell me about that. Yeah, that was unexpected, actually. So I, um, once I knew that it, I was going to major in biblical studies, that that was going to be my vocation and my call. And that's a whole other story for another time. Um, once I knew that, I, um, you know, decided to go to Biola because I had done previous research and wanted to see if they already had a queer community on campus. Turns out they did. And it was at the time called Biola Queer Underground, started by Natasha Magnus, the founder. And um, so I actually decided to go to Biola, even though I knew I would meet probably quite a bit of resistance going there. And that particular faith background was my old faith background, the conservative evangelical background. Um, but I went there because they had a queer community. And um, 
when I went there and I met with the current executive director at the time, uh, we had this, you know, we hit it off right away, had this incredible discussion about all the things we would love to see in the world, within the church, even on, you know, Christian campuses with our queer family. Um, They sprung the news on me that they were suddenly moving to where you are in Seattle. And I had no idea. And I was kind of bummed because I was really looking for a community. Um, But it was, it was interesting. So they asked me to take over the executive director position. And I thought, whoa, this is a huge responsibility. I'm, I'm just entering into my, you know, vocation as a biblical studies major. And I was looking for a community and now I'm going to lead this community. This is kind of scary. Um, but I prayed about it. I, you know, took a lot of time with it and decided to do it. And it wound up being an incredible journey that has, I mean, if that never happened, I wouldn't be speaking to you now. So um, that's why that was so powerful. But yeah, Biola was was very tough. I thought these are my, um, this is my family that I, I mean, I should be used to this kind of evangelical environment. This was precisely the kind of environment I grew up in. But I, I think there was some, a bit of being naive there, um, because I didn't realize until I stepped into that how toxic it was. When I stepped back into that environment, I was just blown away by the toxicity um, of the entire thing. So I was met there with a ton of microaggression from, and even overt aggression from professors, especially during lectures. Um, Most of the, or like, yeah, the animosity toward the the gay community and the LGBTQ community came directly from uh, Biola faculty. And so this wasn't an issue where maybe just the institution itself had, had a, you know, a stance towards LGBTQ topics or whatever. It was embedded. It was systemically like, <laughs> you know, set within the faculty of Biola. I mean, our first demonstration that we did as a group on campus um, against Title IX um, exemptions, which Biola was trying to achieve at the time, a Title IX exemption, which basically Title IX just protects um, LGBTQ students against discrimination. And it's it's a basic human right. It's uh, There's no reason why the category of, you know, sexual orientation or gender identity should be left out of that. But these Christian universities, many of them, want to be exempt from this law where they, you know, the, it would allow them, the exemption would allow them to have the freedom to discriminate. And we we did a protest and that was what kickstarted um, some ongoing conversation and negotiation with Biola administration. And that was the, the demonstration that really like um, just took off. It took off nationally. Eliel Cruz uh, did an article on it and then it just spread like wildfire. And, and it really set a precedent, I think, for what, you know, what was to come and what is happening now. So you started leading this organization. You started doing kind of protests, advocacy, activist work. What was some of the response? Like, and, like, and then how did you see things like maybe start to shift and change because of your work on campus? Well, it received uh, that initial demonstration actually received a lot of great feedback. I mean, from from, you know, the outside world, it it was again, I didn't expect that it to get the kind of attention that we actually did. I mean, uh, all these all these news mediums and sources started, um, 
you know, off of Eliel Cruz's original article, just sort of picking up and, and spreading it all over the place. And it really, um, I just even the initial conversation that I had with um, the, the director of communications who came out and met me during the protest and asked us to leave. She was kicking us off of the campus. Um, she looked frightened. She, I mean, not frightened in the sense, you know, that we were there threatening or doing anything wrong. We, we weren't threatening. It was quite peaceful. We, we were silent most of the time besides a prayer, you know, a prayer vigil we did, but I could tell that what we did was alarming to her and, and, that was the kind of reaction we wanted to provoke. We wanted to make sure that the administration, the faculty, everybody else on Biola's campus knew that we were there, that we are human beings with beating hearts, that you can't be silent about us, that you can't forget about us, and that we have needs and basic rights that need to be attended to, especially if you're going to call yourself a Christian entity or an institution. Um, so the reaction for that, I think, was was really, really great. It started a lot of dialogue, but... Um, I personally had a lot of negative treatment and backlash from, I think, some of the, especially some of my professors. Um, I, I quickly became like the black sheep on campus, and I felt a, in, a need for that I needed to transfer because I felt my own academic career was at stake, and that frightened me a little bit. So I decided to transfer to Azusa Pacific, but I still led the BioLens Equal Ground group from there because logistically. It's it's still within close proximity, but um, as we like it, currently, some of the current responses we've received, um, like based on the Nashville statement, you know, which was released last year, right, last summer, and um, which is tell us a little bit for people who don't aren't familiar with the Nashville statement. Sure, like, yeah, what was the Nashville that? statement was basically, you know, the Southern Baptists um, and and the Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, which is you know, well, it is, it's an entity that everybody should be aware of because it's um, the entity that of evangelical Christianity that's staunchly digging in their heels against um, basic human rights for people. And, and they're very anti-LGBTQ. So the Nashville statement came out and it's basically just a set of articles. I can't remember how many articles are in it, but all of them are very uh, dangerous and toxic. And I, I felt like that the Nashville statements made everything go backward in the church um, because we were at a place at that time just before that happened where Christians were finally accepting, you know, heterosexual Christians were finally accepting, okay, you're gay and you're Christian. I can come to terms with that. I can wrap, sort of start to wrap my head around that. The Nashville statement wiped that away and basically makes the claim, not basically, it makes the claim that if you take the self-conception of being gay, if you adopt that self-conception, you are not a Christian. And if any of your allies um, also say that it's okay for you to identify as gay, they are not true Christians either. Um, that's just one of the articles in the Nashville Statement. So you can imagine it, it's just this awful um, set of kind of rules and claims, you know, that the, the mainly the Southern Baptist denomination wanted to set down, you know. Uh, there were over a dozen Biola professors who were signers of the Nashville Statement, and um, some of them were even signatories, including the head of the theological department at Biola University, who has been in the public eye for backlash in the past. Um, this was an outrage. 
to, to me. And so I, I wrote an open letter to the Biola or president of Biola, Barry Corey, Dr. Barry Corey, and he, I knew, and we'd had a discussion with, and um, I put it <laughs> in a public forum on Huffington Post. Um, and his response was basically nothing. It, it was like, we're not as a school going to respond to this or say anything about the Nashville statement where, you know, our professors have a right to do these things on the side if they wish. And um, that's, that's their prerogative. I wasn't asking for, you know, anything like, I wasn't taking away someone's rights. It was more of like, as a, as a school, as an institution, a Christian institution who has a school sanctioned LGBTQ group on campus, you're going to have these, you know, dozen or so Biola professors actually sign something that says you cannot be gay and Christian when your own institution says that you can be gay and Christian. It, it, I, I, my point was that it creates confusion and chaos, you know, to our community on your campus. And, and I asked him to at least denounce the Nashville statement, which he never did. Um, but there was a reparative therapy endorsement that occurred on the campus, and that's what really blew things up. And then I started to receive a ton of negative backlash from people. So it just depends. Tell me about that. Sure. So Alan Schlemmen is a um, speaker and a, a an apologist. He has his uh, master's, I think, of, apolo- of apologetics from Biola University. Uh, there was a homosexuality seminar at the school at Biola. This was when I was attending APU, but still vigilantly, you know, overseeing the group at Biola. So I decided to go to the seminar and listen. It was Sean McDowell, who is Josh McDowell's son. If you don't know who Josh McDowell is, he wrote Evidence That Demands a Verdict, um, pretty famous book, very, you know, fundamentalist, like, uh, that's just the background that Sean McDowell comes from. He's an apologist as well. And, um, so in listening to Alan Schlemmen's lecture, he very blatantly endorses sexual orientation change efforts right in the middle of this lecture and puts, even puts up a slide showing um, quote unquote medical evidence proving that this is okay. Um, I think his source was from the 70s and s- several of us in the room were just stunned, you know, because Biola their psychology department is accredited by the American Psychological Association and the American Psychological Association would never, ever be okay with a reparative therapy endorsement. Um, so we, we held a protest. We did, you know, several things. I wrote um, articles again on Huffington Post and people just ripped them apart, ripped them to shreds, ripped my article to shreds. You know, I, I was asked to be on a radio talk show and they, they kept calling me a so-called Christian and all kinds of things. So it really just depends, I think, on the political climate. Also, that the shift from when I was at Biola to when I left was right in that transition when tr- the Trump era happened. Um, and that's, for me, when I start, started to know some very critical changes on the campus of Biola and in other you know, conservative realms. I mean, it sounds like, you're, so you're talking about Biola. And like, this isn't, this isn't something that's like exclusive to Biola. Like this kind of thing is happening on Christian campuses all over the United States, uh, in Canada as well. Um, and uh, so like, 
I mean, you're, you're, you're kind of jumping into like, this is the work that you're doing now is trying to, to do your work that you were doing on a Biola on a more national level with Brave Commons. Could you tell us about that a little bit and then tell us kind of, I mean, the state of Christian education and queer people as it is now, like what is going on on college campuses? So of course, like these situations and circumstances don't just live in Southern California. They live everywhere throughout the United States on every Christian campus in this country. Um, And like you said, in Canada as well. So um, the need is, is definitely there for, I think, safe spaces. Um, My, you know, with Brave Commons, basically our ideas were, you know, it's, it started with the, our, our beautiful founder, Michael Vasquez in, um, who's in Illinois. And he, he has started working with a lot of Christian colleges in the Midwest, um, notable colleges like Wheaton College, um, I think Moody College. He's worked with several, Hope, um, Spring Arbor. And I caught wind of what Michael was doing. And I knew of a, another organizer who was doing a similar thing on the East Coast, Lauren Sotolongo. And the idea just kind of popped in my head. I thought, well, we're all doing this. and trying to do the same thing here. We're trying to create safe spaces and um, basically provoke movements of faith and justice on these Christian campuses. And that could mean a variety of things depending on the campus and depending on the group. So um, we all collectively got together and decided to merge together, unite together as basically one force, Brave Commons. And so we're each strategically located in a region of the U.S., where these things are happening. Like, I, so I'm nearby, you know, Biola and APU and California, you know, Christian colleges and um, same for Michael in the Midwest and Lauren's strategically located on the East coast. So it made sense that the last thing we all, we all talked about and noticed was that no one had unified or converged all of these student groups together in one place. Um, Attempts have been made to do that in the past, but it's never really fully come into fruition. And we would love to make that come into fruition. So that was the goal. Because what what is the case here is that, you know, Christian institutionalized power is in the center. And in order to move that center, we have to empower LGBTQ students on these campuses and empower, you know, queer students so that they have a voice, that they have rights and know they have rights um, and they have equal treatment, you know, under the law. But furthermore, if, you know, again, if these Christian institutions claim to be Christians, um, they're entitled, these students, even more so than just to what federal law says, you know. Um, So that's what we're doing is, is basically just empowering, seeking to empower all these groups and um, give them, the pastoral care they need if they're experiencing spiritual, uh, experiencing spiritual trauma. Um, I mean, there's all kinds of different resources that we're, that we're going to offer to these folks, retreats, um, really cool things like that. Um, and yeah, the work became ever increasingly important, especially when Trump came into office, because I think we noticed, you know, certain, certain schools like Liberty university, for example, um, with Jerry Falwell at the helm, staunchly anti-LGBTQ, 
but there is no reason whatsoever that anyone should assume that there's not queer students on that campus because there are. Okay. So our, our job is to protect them. (laughs) Our job is to, is to protect them and to empower them in any way, shape or form that we possibly can, even if they need to stay anonymous, that is what we're here to do. So, so like there, there, like you said, like, it's ridiculous to to think that there are no queer people on these Christian campuses. Like you mentioned Liberty, which is like the largest Christian university in the world with 10,000 or more students. Like, of course there are queer people there. Um, and, and, and I'm curious because I think this is a question that a lot of people get is like, why, why would queer people choose to go to Christian universities? Uh, when there is all this discrimination, when yeah. there is like, and and I mean, like, can can you talk about some of those? Because like, I mean, I I went to a Christian university uh, as a queer person. I wasn't out. Like, I, I know what decisions went into that process for me. Um, but like, there's a lot that goes into this idea of like, of going to mm-hmm. a Christian university as a queer person, even when we know very well like that they're not safe spaces for us to exist within. What you're asking is a great question. And it's actually the most frequent question I get asked um, all the time. (laughs) People are like, what are you doing there? If it's so bad, then, you know, leave or what have you. Um, I'll give you two answers to that question. I'll I'll give you my personal answer and I'll um, speak to some of the the younger students because I I didn't go to college right out of high school. I'm in my 30-somethings. so I, at a later time in my life, decided to go back into the academic world. And it, it, I was financially you know, somewhat established by then. I'd resigned from a career that I'd had for several years and had the financial means to be able to transfer to Biola, to move you know, and live near Orange County, and then even to transfer to APU, which was difficult. Um, and being in my 30s, I have some life experience under my belt and a little bit of a thicker skin than I would have when I was younger. I was fully out. I was, I'm fully comfortable with who I am. But if I were 18 or seven, you know, 19, there's no way. I don't think I would have the financial resources to be able to do any of these things. Um, so the reason why I stayed is because, first of all, I want to stand up for people who don't, are not ready to stand up for themselves yet, or it's not safe for them to come out yet. For many of us, um, we don't come out because it's not safe to. And um, there's no safe space to do that. So I remain in those spaces to, to be a voice for people who cannot speak yet. And also as an act of resistance, because I am not going to let anybody, any human being, I don't care if you're a Christian or not, rob from me my faith in Jesus, um, because I am entitled to this faith. I am entitled to the promises made from the text, from scripture, and I'm going to sit down at the table and take my seat um, before the Lord as my savior. And I'm not going to let anybody rob that from me. So that is my answer for myself. That's why I stay. But for younger students, here's the thing. How many 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds do you know who are completely financial in, financially independent of any financial assistance uh, or don't need any financial assistance to go to a university or a college, probably, probably none. <laughs> you know, all of us are receiving at that age, some sort of assistance, whether it comes from our parents, family, you know, financial aid, the state, things like that. When you're at that age, you don't have the financial independence that, you know, someone like 
in their thirties or, you know, late thirties would have perhaps with their career and vocation already set. But so a lot of times whoever has the financial power usually has the decision-making power over where someone goes for school. And that's a large part of it. So a student will kind of have to acquiesce to whatever the parent is willing to pay for. Um, That's part of the thing. And also if the student has grown up in a Christian evangelical conservative environment, of course, the parent is going to, you know, want to champion that for their, their kid and, and have them go to one of those schools. The other part of that scenario is that many students that age, I want to say between the ages of like 18 and 24, don't even discover that they're gay until they're in college. So it's inside of that environment that they start to realize or come to terms with the fact that they are same-sex attracted or LGBT or Q plus whatever. And now they're in a dilemma because if no one around them is affirming and if no one around them is safe, they have to just keep their mouth shut and hide and, and, you know, do that thing. If, if the solution then is to just transfer, well, that's a very big ask because you're asking someone to transfer logistically location wise, they have to uproot themselves. And then if you transfer to a different university, I had this issue. Um, That university has its own requirements that you need to fulfill on top of what you had just, the university you were just at. And so you're going to have to maybe extend or prolong your time in school, which means extended and prolonging how much you pay for school. So it's not so easy to just transfer. And then if the other option is, well, just drop out, that's not really fair either. Um, I think the, the better question we could be asking is how can we treat every single student like they're a human being with a beating heart and belong to God's family? Because they do. Um, so, but I think that's typically what happens with students. And in my work with them, that's what I find happens is they, they get stuck in this school environment. They have no one to turn to. No one feels safe for them. So they just stay in hiding and they pretend that they're straight. They do all these toxic things that don't work. Um, and it's very sad and scary for them. A lot of them have suicidal ideation. I mean, there's just all kinds of things going on. So if they had a space where they could just be themselves, I think um, we would all be better for that, you know? Yeah, yeah. So you're, so you're working on starting to curate those spaces uh, on college campuses, Christian campuses all over the U.S. Um, I'm curious, like we, we've talked about a lot of the issues, like a lot of the things that are facing queer students on campuses t- right now. Mm-hmm. Um, as you've engaged in this work, um, what are some of the things that are encouraging you? Like what are things that are that you're seeing that are like, oh, my gosh, like there is good stuff happening in these spaces? Yeah. Um, there are so many wonderful things happening in these spaces. Uh, what I love to see um, and hear in the news, uh, you know, tidbits here and there, but what, what we're doing as Brave Commons is trying to make this more accessible to the wider public at large. These, these Christian universities you've never heard of have like one or two students that are <laughs> actively resisting and doing these incredible movements of like direct action organizing. Um, I, I don't know if I'm absolutely correct about this, but I know at Hope um, College, I'm pretty sure it's one of the queer students there dumped out a bunch of flyers during a chapel with talking about how um, 
the the university was poorly treating its queer community. And I think that person got expelled or disciplined or something like that. But I thought, oh my gosh, what an awesome person. Takes a lot of bravery to do something like that. Um, So what's encouraging about all of these things is that more and more we see students come into the the light and step forward and, and start to speak up and um, make you know a name for their group and establish a group on these campuses or they try to or they try to have underground bible studies or something like that there's something happening at each one of these universities um, Azusa Pacific specifically where I um, graduated from and what a great way to leave that school um, here's an example of something very positive. I pr- I predict that Azusa Pacific in Southern California, and I'm not trying to plug my university or anything, but I really do truly predict that it will be the first Christian university to be openly inclusive. Um, and we're, we're quite a ways from that occurring, but I feel like that could happen there. Most of the staff at um, Azusa Pacific, I mean, faculty, and especially in the biblical and the- theology department, are affirming and they're very open and vocal during lectures. Um, and they're very supportive of students from all backgrounds in their classes. The, the even what they're teaching their liberation theology, James Cone, I mean, uh, womanist theology, queer theology, all kinds of beautiful, wonderful things we should all be getting as Christians and folks who want to really dig deeply into scripture and dig deeply into hermeneutics. Um, But this university administration started inviting LGBTQ organizations from outside of the school, invited them to come on campus, take a tour and ask them what, what, how the university could become a better, safer space for trans people, for queer people in general. And I, what was really cool was that they asked me to be a part of this discussion. What APU did really well that a lot of other Christian universities don't was they invited their own queer community into this discussion with other LGBTQ organizations to help make this a safer space for students. And that was the right move because so many, too many times, all I hear are straight white male pastors talking or leaders talking about our community they're not talking to us at all ever. And that is what APU started to, to do a little bit differently, you know, from what I've seen. And that is a very encouraging thing. They realize that they cannot, you know, hold power in the discourse. They have to relinquish discursive power to some of these other groups who need to be able to speak for themselves and speak to the actual needs of those communities. Um, so that was a beautiful, encouraging thing to witness just as I was graduating. And, um, and I know that they're, they've now rolling out this fall, 2018, they will have an official LGBTQ plus office on its campus, which is crazy awesome. And I'm so excited and so proud to have helped them um, and just be a part of that 
dialogue and discussion with administrators and and some of the movers and shakers there at the school. So there's a lot of great stuff happening. Yeah. So I'm curious. um, I I can imagine there being kind of a couple different groups like hearing this. Um, I I think of the people who are like me, who have graduated from Christian institutions or, or, or not, like it doesn't matter, but people who are listening, who are like, how can I get involved? Like, how can I help? Like, I'm, I'm not at a Christian university. This is not work that I'm involved in, but I want to support what you're doing. So there's that group Mm. of people. There's also, I know a lot of college students who listen to this podcast who may be the only queer person on their Christian campus who may be wanting to get some support or to start a group or to figure out what they can do to be to be that subversive change on their campus. For both of those groups of people, how can they get involved? What? How can you support them? How can we support you? Yeah, great question. Thank you so much for asking. So for the student, um, please re- reach out to us at Brave Commons. So um, we just launched our website, bravecommons.org. And um, we are in the midst of giving all those access or, you know, full access to resources and helping you build a group on your campus. And we are particularly sensitive to the fact of, you know, if you need to create an underground group or if you want something more overground in the public and you're not afraid of that, but we're our, our first um, priority is the safety of these students on these campuses. Um, and we are joining forces with entities like soul force and the reformation project um, to provide some of the, um, some biblical resources and also some of those direct action organizing pieces because community organization in and of itself is its whole own, you know, thing. And we want to make sure we are utilizing the help of some wonderful organizations that already have that, those pieces in place. Um, But if you come to bravecommons.org, reach out to us, we'll get your email. We'll um, uh, get back to you right away and start helping you build that community and start giving you, suggestions for ways you can start Bible studies or even just start meeting, find one other, even if it's just two people, you know, that's all, (laughs) that's it. Or one person, that's all you need. And we can connect you too with other um, LGBTQ student networks around the country, which is a great way to get support. So um, for people who would love to get involved in this movement, um, oh, the other piece I forgot to mention is our sermon cast. Uh, so Horatio, we are um, doing a sermon cast every Sunday, and we just posted our second episode. I'm on it, yours truly, this time, and Michael did the first sermon. But we um, wanted to have a sermon and a, a worship setting where folks who feel unwelcomed from the church, feel who or feel turned off by the church, feel trauma. All these kinds of things are not quite ready to go there yet, um, but still want to worship God. We set up that space um, via a ratio, and it's for everyone, of course. It doesn't have to just be, you know, you can have a faith community and, and, of course, still listen. It's for everyone. But we wanted to give back that worshiping piece to our queer intersectional family. Um, so that's another uh, project and piece of programming that we're doing. But for, for folks on the outside of this, like, you know, university thing who want to get involved. Uh, we have several ways again, bravecommons.org. You can reach out to us, um, and let us know how you would like to help. Um, we have all kinds of different needs specifically listed on our fundly donation site. 
um, like various financial needs. So I, I think that's, that m- might be the biggest thing that we need right now is we're trying to start to become a nonprofit. Um, but a lot of the pieces that go into building that are very pricey and, you know, take a lot of work, but we, we are very transparent about what we do with our finances as well. So that financial support, um, is one huge thing that people can do also prayer. And if you are a, a clergy leader at a congregation, please let us know, um, where these students can go to off of campus that are safe spaces. Um, those are, those are a variety of ways that, um, the community at large can help us and help these students more specifically on these campuses. Cause that's our main concern is providing safe environments for them. So even the funding and the finances, um, that piece goes directly toward these students, you know? Um, so yeah, those are some ways to get involved and ways to support. That's so, that is so cool. Um, how, how do people find the sermon cast? So the sermon cast, you go to our bravecommons.org website. There's a little tab on the top right corner that says Oratio. And if you click on that, that is how you can get to our sermon cast series. Um, yeah, top right, top right hand corner. And it'll tell you a little bit about like where the term Oratio came from, how Michael came to that um, awesome title. Kind of sounds like a Harry Potter spell. <laughs> that's, that's how I feel. Um, so yeah, we're like Dumbledore's army right now with our Oratio podcast. Um, and we already have our first two sermons up and um, we're very excited about it. And we're even starting a Bible study. So if someone wants to get connected with what we, the three of us, Michael, Lauren, and I are looking at in the text, we have just added a link to a ratio where folks can join in on the exact things we're studying right now in the text, in the biblical text. So we want to try to involve as many people as possible. Um, is, I mean, is a ratio on like iTunes, like oh, other it, podcast services? Yes, it or is as well. To to I forgot website? to mention that. So I am like the least <laughs> techie person out of the group. I, yeah. Lauren could speak to those things better than I could. I am like the, the dinosaur over here with my laptop that's about to catch on fire because it's so obsolete. Um, so yes, we're on we're on the YouTube, we're on the iTunes, we're on the everything. I um, but yes, we're we're on all of those mediums. We're also on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So um, yeah, those are all ways that you can join, follow, share, like, all the all the things. Ah, uh, Aaron, thank you so much. Like you guys are doing such yeah. needed needed thank work. You. Thank you. I really appreciate it and appreciate um, you just allowing us to share our story about Brave Commons because uh, this work now more than ever is so important. So thank you. Absolutely. You can keep up with Erin and her work at Brave Commons over at bravecommons.org. They're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Brave Commons. And be sure to check out their new sermon cast, Horatio. It's available wherever you get your podcasts and over at their website as well. Choreology is on Twitter and Instagram at ChoreologyPod, or you can tweet me directly at Matthias Roberts. Choreology is produced with support from Natalie England, Tim Schrader, Christian Hayes, and over 70 other Patreon supporters. To find out how you can help support Choreology, head over to MatthiasRoberts.com support. A really easy way to help support Quirology is by leaving a rating and a review. Do that right in your podcast app or head to MatthiasRoberts.com slash review and it'll take you right there. 
As always, I'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas of what you want to hear on the podcast or just want to say hi, reach out. I'll get back to you. And until next week, y'all, bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.